8, 4 p.m. It's great to be back with you. My name's Andrew. If you're new or visiting with us, let's pray as we open up Genesis chapter 50. Father, would you help us to see you as more valuable than anything this world or this life can offer us? Please forgive us for the times in which we have failed you and sinned against you this past week and served other people or other things and work in us now so that we serve you alone and obey you and please you, our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are times in everyone's life when we are hurt, when people betray us, when people abandon us, when people lie to us or cheat and we face deep injustices. Everyone goes through moments like this. Perhaps you are now. You certainly will. In those moments, how do we deal with it? They may be small things that you experience. Maybe, you know, someone bumps into your car or someone makes fun of you and hurts your feelings or Someone reveals the end of a TV show you're watching and spoils it for you. Or they may be serious things. You know, a spouse who cheats on you, or a friend who betrays you, or a child that turns their back on you. And these things are deep injustices. How do we deal with them? How do we respond? There's two options, two extremes anyway. One option is we get angry. We want but we want revenge, we get bitter, and we want to take it into our own hands. Problem is, all the psychologists say that's just bad for us. When you get bitter, it's just bad for you. It enslaves you. That option's not going to work. The other option is the other extreme. We minimize it. I'm sure there's a lot of people here who do this. Someone hurts you, and you just say, oh, look, whatever, I'll just, I'll just pretend it didn't happen. I don't want to make a fuss. I'm sure they meant well. And we suppress those feelings of of anger and bitterness. That's not healthy either. But Joseph shows us a third way. Not getting angry and taking it on himself, not minimizing it. He shows us a third way. You see, Joseph, he's a character in the Old Testament. If you were here last week, we met him. He faces a terrible injustice. His own brothers try and kill him. His own brothers settle him into slavery in Egypt. Potiphar's wife betrays him and he's falsely imprisoned in jail. These are massive injustices. What happens is he ends up uh, before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he interprets some of Pharaoh's dreams Uh, He tells Pharaoh that there's going to be seven years of plenty in the land and then seven years of famine. And so in the seven years of plenty, they need to save up food to provide for the seven years of famine. Pharaoh is impressed. He makes him prime minister over all of Egypt, and he does just that. He, He helps Egypt save up food for seven years to provide for the seven years of famine. And after a while, Joseph's brothers get hungry. They're desperate for food. They come to Egypt for food, and they stand before their brother, only they don't recognize as him. But Joseph recognizes them. 
Now, what would you do if you were Joseph? What would you do if you had been wronged by your brothers in such a big way, faced such an injustice, and after years and years, they're finally before you? What would you do? I'll tell you what I'd want to do. I think I'd want to say, how could you? I'd want to help them understand what they've put me through. I might even be tempted to use my power as prime minister to tell them, no food for you. In fact, I'm going to send you to jail so you experience what I've been through. But Joseph does none of that. What Joseph does is a model for you and I when we go through injustices, when we are hurt, when we are betrayed. Three things he does. He forgives, he sees God's plan, and he trusts God's promises. Let's look at the first one, he forgives. We saw in our first reading, Genesis 45, Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. And rather than yelling at them or getting angry at them, he actually kisses them. He embraces them. He hugs them. He even provides for their needs and gives them food and shelter. It is one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible of forgiveness, of restoration, of reconciliation. Well, fast forward to chapter 50, our second reading, and um, some time has passed, and the brothers still aren't convinced that they're forgiven. I wonder if you've ever been forgiven by someone, but you just don't really believe it. You know, you're thinking, I'm not really sure they have. And what had happened at this point is Jacob, their dad, had died. And they're thinking to themselves, well, maybe he just was nice to us. Maybe Joseph was just nice to us while dad was alive. Maybe now he's going to get his revenge. And so look what they say to Joseph. Verse 17, I ask you to forgive your brothers and sisters, brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in, t- in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves. What do they do? They throw themselves down before Joseph, which, by the way, fulfills the dream Joseph first had that one day his brothers would bow down to him. This is it happening. They're throwing themselves down, asking for forgiveness. Now, to their credit, they name their actions for what it is. Sin. Wrong. Now, look how Joseph responds. Verse 19. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? So that's the secret to forgiveness. It's recognizing your place. Forgiveness is hard. In 2020, you may remember a few years ago, a drunk driver in Sydney's northwest plowed into a group of seven kids on their way to get ice cream. And in that one moment, a couple lost three of their children. Now, this couple, a Christian couple, only a few days later shocked everyone because they got up on TV and forgave that drunk driver. And everyone was shocked. How could they do such a thing? How could they forgive such injustice? See, forgiveness is hard. 
we can talk about it. Everyone loves the idea of forgiveness. That's why it's in all the movies and musicals. We love the idea. But when it actually comes to us forgiving, it's pretty hard. When it comes to you forgiving the coworker that betrays you or the, the spouse that abandons you, or, it's hard. The only way you can do it is by giving your desire for justice to a higher court than yourself. And that's what Joseph does. He says, am I in the place of God? He recognizes God is God. He is not. God is the one who has authority to judge. God is the one who on the final day when Jesus comes back will right all wrongs. He is a sinful human, just like you and me. You and I, we are all broken ourselves. Who are we to be the perfect judge? And only God knows everyone's motives. Only God knows what is going on in everyone's heart, what people truly deserve. Only God sees it all. He is the one in that high court. And Joseph recognizes, who am I to be in the place of God? Romans chapter 12, it says this, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Yes, we feel like revenge. Yes, we want to take justice into our own hands and right the wrongs ourselves. But to do that is to stand in the place of God. And I say, this is, I know this is really hard to do. It is so hard to forgive and entrust God with the judgment. It is so hard. But it is deeply freeing. A few years ago, there was someone who wronged me and my family. And I'm going to be honest, I wanted payback. I'm going to be honest, I was bitter for a fair while and angry. And I found it really hard to forgive. I really had to ask God for help. And God helped me. It was hard. But gee, it was freeing to entrust my hurt and pain to the higher court, to God. It's been said that when you don't forgive, it's like being wounded twice. You get your first wound, someone hurts you. And then when you hold the grudge and hold the bitterness, it's like pouring poison all over the wound. You get hurt twice. But when you forgive, you allow the wound to heal. The hurt may still be there. You may have been wronged in such a way that actually it's going to hurt for the rest of your life. And you'll never be the same person you were before. But that wound, by forgiving, that wound becomes a scar. Always there, but as a scar. A healed wound. That's forgiveness. 
Rather than being hurting, hurting yourself twice, it is, it is for, forgiving, your, forgiving someone and freeing yourself by giving the desire for justice to the only one who can bear it. That's what Joseph does. And friends, we've got even more reason to forgive than Joseph because we know the forgiveness of God at the cross. The way you can tell if you understand how much God has forgiven you is if you forgive others. When you understand how deep a sinner you are, but how much God loved you, that he gave up his son for you so you could be forgiven, so your record was washed clean, when you grasp that love and that forgiveness, only then do you have the secret of Forgiving others. I was speaking to someone this morning, and she told me she became a Christian about three years ago. And she said it was only when she became a Christian that she was able to forgive her ex-husband who hurt her 20 years earlier. Only when she grasped the forgiveness of God. Now, it's worth saying, Forgiveness, we're called to do, but it doesn't mean that everything's going to go back to the way it was. You may not be able to be friends with that person again. You may not be able to stay living with that person again. It may not be safe for you to be around that person again. See, forgiveness is different to reconciliation. Joseph and his brothers reconciled. They hugged, they embraced, they they lived together. That's always the goal. Always the goal for us as Christians to reconcile. That's God's, that's God's desire, but it is not always possible. Sometimes we must forgive, and the prospect of reconciliation, it's just, it's just not, not going to happen. But we are called to forgive just like Joseph. The injustices, the hurt that we face, and give it to a higher court. Remember God's place. Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there a grudge you're holding, a bitterness in your heart? Give it to God and be free. That's the first thing Joseph does with his injustice and his pain and his hurt. He sees God's place, he forgives. Number two, he sees God's plan. He sees God's plan. Look at verse 20, probably the best verse in the whole of the book of Genesis. Verse 20, Joseph says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. If you're hiking and you get lost in a deep, dark valley, it is very hard to find your way out of the dark valley from the perspective of the valley. What you need to do is go to a high vantage point, climb a hill, climb a cliff, and then you can see all things as they are. You can see the way out. You can see the obstacles to avoid. You might be in a valley right now in your life. And from the perspective of the valley, gee, it's hard. But from God's perspective, That's the perspective we need. 
Not the perspective of the valley, but the perspective of God. That's what Joseph does. He looks at his life. He looks at the injustice, the betrayal, the hurt, the abuse, and he sees it not from the valley perspective, but from the perspective of God. He says to the brothers, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. Notice, he doesn't let the brothers off the hook. He doesn't say to the brothers, oh, it's okay, brothers, yeah, God, God, God worked it all for good, it's all fine. No, no, he, he holds them accountable. They really intended it for harm. It wasn't an accident what they did. They intended it for harm. He doesn't minimize it. But in that very same event, God intended it for good. That God used, actually more than just used, God intended it to happen. It's not like he's the sovereign God. It's not like as he watched Joseph being sold into slavery, he went, oh, well, my hands are tied. I wish I could do something about it. Maybe I can get a good outcome out of this somehow. He's sovereign over all things. But he intended it for good. Back in Genesis 45, which we heard read, Joseph actually says, God sent me to Egypt. God sent me. It led to the saving of many lives in Egypt. Potiphar's wife, she intended it for harm when he went to jail. But God intended it for good because Joseph met the cupbearer and ended up before Pharaoh. And Joseph's here and... Because of this story he's been through, he's now able to save the life of his family by giving them food. And if you know the storyline of the Bible, the family tree of Joseph leads to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This awful stuff that has happened in Joseph's story, God intended it for good. Now, this is not saying that God does evil. God cannot do evil. Now, how this works, how this works that in one action, the humans are held responsible because they intended it for harm. God intended it for good, and he's not held responsible at all for any of the evil. How that works, if you're hoping for an answer, I can't give it to you. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Some things God does not reveal to us, but it is a beautiful thing. I don't know about you, but as we've been looking at the characters in this series, some of them have been pretty hopeless, pretty broken. And you see God using the harm, the failures for good. And it is the same with us. Romans 8.28, we heard it in the kids' talk. It's up on the screen. This is a good one to memorize if you're looking for a verse to start with memorizing. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What might that good be? It might be growing you to be more like Jesus. It might be refining you in the fire. It might be deepening your faith and trust. It may be strengthening your courage. It may be igniting your worship. But it's worth pointing out, you're not always going to be able to see the good immediately. 
I mean, Joseph, quite a number of years have passed now since Joseph was sold into slavery. He probably couldn't see the good God was doing immediately. As you go through chemotherapy or grieve at a funeral of a loved one, as you suffer a panic attack, battle with unemployment, or go through the dark cloud of depression, you're not always going to be able to see in that valley, oh yeah, I see the good God's bringing. In fact, you may not see it until you get to heaven. Or you may not see it for a number of years. As we heard before, Amy, who is a member of our congregation here, spoke at the Sydney Prayer Breakfast. She had this great line uh, as she reflected on the trials of her life. Great line. Faith in this life means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Isn't that good? Faith in this life is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. That one day, perhaps in hindsight, perhaps a perspective of eternity, then we will see what God has been doing. Sometimes we have the privilege of having that revealed to us now, but often we have to wait. If you want proof that this is true, that God is taking your valley moments, your dark times, your, your suffering, your abuse, and bringing it for good, if you want proof, look at the cross. Think about it. When Jesus died on that cross, wasn't it the worst thing to ever happen in all of history? The Son of God being killed and mocked. And yet, it was the most glorious thing to ever happen. Because as he suffered, God was saving you and I, pouring out his love, opening up eternity for us. God planned it. And yet humans were still held responsible. On the screen we have Acts 2. It says, Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You see there? Wicked men. A wicked, horrible thing. Jesus dying, and yet it was God's perfect plan. Jesus willingly went to that cross for you. To love you. To rescue you. To give you hope. Jesus is the ultimate Joseph. Just as Joseph was betrayed and suffered, Jesus was betrayed and suffered for you. And God, in his perfect plans, used that awful moment for your good if you ever question and wonder whether God is with you in the valley. If you ever wonder whether God's abandoned you or whether God still cares for you or whether God has a plan in your dark moments, look at the cross. That is the evidence that he is working all things together for your good because there we see the depths of human sin. It was our sin that sent him there to the cross. 
and the glory of God's loving plans. So in Joseph's hard times and his injustice, he firstly forgives. Secondly, he sees God's plan. And number three, and much more quickly, he trusts God's promises. This is the end of the book of Genesis. And if you think about it, it doesn't actually end that well. You think about it. The book of Genesis, it starts with the Garden of Eden with life. How does the book of Genesis end? With a coffin. Not a good ending. You think about it, the book of Genesis begins with a garden of Eden where there's perfect freedom. How does the book of Genesis end? God's people in Egypt. Now you turn the page, what does Egypt mean? Slavery. Slavery. It doesn't seem to end well. But Joseph has faith in the promises of God. He remembers God's promises to Abraham that he would give God's people the promised land. Now, they're not in the promised land. They're in Egypt. Joseph's about to crawl into his coffin. But he remembers the promises. Look what he says to his brothers, verse 24. Verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's he doing? From his perspective, he can't see the promises coming to fruition. He's in Egypt. He's about to die. But he has such deep faith in the God that can do the impossible. That's what our our whole series, I think, has been on. We're seeing faith in the God who can do the impossible. And he has faith that God will bring his people to the promised land. It says that in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it says, By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Friends, the end of this book of Genesis is a, is a to-be-continued. It's a sneak peek of the sequel. Exodus, when God will fulfill the promises, when God will bring them out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land, Joseph looks ahead to those promises and has a deep faith. Friends, our promise is not a promised land. It is heaven, the new heavens, the new earth. When Jesus returns, when all suffering will be done away with, all sickness and all pain, and we will be with our Saviour. That is a promise. And you may not be able to see it now. But it is coming. And we must trust him and look forward to that day. In the trials, in the hard times, in the injustices. Trust the promises of God. Jesus is returning. And he will bring us to that promised land. I don't know what you're going through right now in your life. And I don't know how this part of your story will end. But we do know how the ultimate story ends, don't we? 
You may not see or know how this part of your story will end, but like Joseph, with faith, you can look ahead, trusting the promises of God and knowing how the ultimate story will end. And that brings us great hope and comfort. And so, friends, next time you're in the valley of life, next time you're hurt or betrayed, next time you have awful news, next time your body groans or you suffer, remember God's place and trust him to bring judgment and justice and you just forgive. See God's plan. He is working all things together for your good. And trust God's promises because he is a faithful God and a God who does the impossible. Let's pray together. God, we have seen time and time again in the book of Genesis the sinfulness of us humans and the perfection of you, your wonderful promises that are unshakable, your wonderful promises that may seem impossible but are totally, impo- totally possible by you. Help us to trust you, deepen our confidence and our faith in you. Thank you that you work through even the awful moments of life to bring good. We praise you and thank you, our Lord and our God. Amen.